Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of Enforce technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforce technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Welcome to 5 After Midnight. It's a new show where we talk about the things the way you would around a sleep-deprived kitchen table. When you've run five or more calls after midnight, your brain feels half gone, and you and your crew have absolutely no filter. Just pure honesty. The goal of this series is to kick around the small things that really aren't so small and have a big impact in the way our firehouses function. My name is Stephanie. I'm genuinely not an expert at anything. I'm just here to ask the sometimes awkward questions. Enjoy. Good morning. I am on with Rob Sarah this morning. Rob got his start in FDNY. Um, I will let you tell the story. You're going to do all the talking today, in fact. I'm just here to push record. Uh-oh. Rob, <laughs> Rob, you're with, uh, with the FDNY, which is where you spent your career. Take it away from there. Um, yeah, I, I began in July of 2001. Um, July 15th, uh, to be precise. Uh, just graduated college. Um, I was an English major, so the offers weren't exactly rolling in. Uh, so um, I had taken the test when I was in college because my brother was already on the job, uh, and he kind of forced me. Um, so I'm not one of those, uh, you know, little kids who grew up dreaming to be a fireman, um, even though my brother and my grandfather were. But uh, So I took the test and not knowing uh, if I was going to take the job or not. Graduated college, and, uh, you know, I figured I'd give it a shot. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. But. So we started in the middle of July, and we finished up the academy on September 10th. Uh, and we would do a report to firehouses for field training uh, later that week. Um, at that point in time, the FDMY was doing some sort of trial where they were taking probies from the academy and sending them to the field for field training for 14 weeks. And then you were supposed to go back to the academy for three weeks. Um, basically after they let you out, which was just a bad idea to begin with. But anyway, uh, so I was getting ready to start my 14 weeks. Uh, I had the day off on September 11th. Um, I was driving to Long Island to try out for the FDNY hockey team. And the uh, <laughs> story changed from there. Um, got to the Arizona Bridge. I looked to my left and I could see at least one of the towers was on fire uh, from that angle, and it looked pretty bad. So called my brother, and uh, he told me to go 
go home and get my gear and go to a firehouse, which is what I did. Um, so <laughs> the trek to get to Ground Zero, uh, <laughs> looking back, uh, was pretty pretty long in itself. Um, first, I went to a firehouse. They took us to another firehouse uh, to rescue five to muster up with everybody else. And they took us on a bus to the ferry terminal. While at the ferry terminal, well, while on the bus, uh, a priest read us our last rites, so we were all pretty, uh, you know, we didn't really know what we were going into. Um, we knew we were under attack. We, you know, there were reports of jets and missiles coming, so we didn't really know what we were going into. So when we got to the ferry, uh, they came around looking for blood, uh, O negative blood, uh, which I have. So me and another guy, uh, the only ones who raised our hand, went to the hospital to donate blood because they were expecting a lot of victims, um, which unfortunately never made it to the hospital. But so I went and gave a pound of blood, ended up back at another firehouse, then flying on a bus to uh, to Ground Zero. Um, I don't know how much how much of that day you, much more of that day you want. Um, well, you the know. The biggest reason I wanted to to talk to you today and your insane start in the fire service is because you walked into arguably the most unique and defining moment in modern fire service history. And as a result, you instantly um, started the road of being an advocate and understanding the need to be an advocate, which is something that most people don't start until much, much later in their career. Most people don't start down that road until something happens to them. Um, but that something happening to them started to you on day one, which is such a unique perspective. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've said this all along, you know, when you're in the academy, they teach you about all the different things uh, to not breathe in the things that can harm you all the toxins, the, you know, even the little things like cutting a windshield uh, on a car, how to cover up and, you know, not to breathe in the glass and, and just all the, all the, all the things that we had just learned about. And then I walked into, you know, a, a cocktail of all the worst things you could possibly want to breathe in um, all at once on my first day. So yeah, I got, I got a bloody nose, um, not long into uh, arriving at, at the site. Uh, and it bled for hours. Um, and I remember I was sitting on a wall and, and I had that thought right away that this is, this is going to be bad. You know, this is, there's no way this isn't going to, um, kill people, you know, just, just the dust itself. Um, so yeah, I had that bloody, that bloody nose was a start. I mean, my nose bled for, for years every day after that, um, which then led to a slew of other, uh, health issues because of the dust um, and and becoming an advocate back then it was it I kind of stumbled into it um, just because I was so young when, when I had to retire I was 33 um, and you know a lot of the pushback that that at least I personally was getting wasn't from the government it was from my peers it was from other firefighters you know a lot of people had had things to say because you know how it is when someone goes out on disability they they immediately get the uh it's like uh, they get the stigma right guilty till proven innocent right mm -hmm. you know 
Um, you get the side eye. You know, I heard the comments. Uh, you know, he retired with the sniffles and, and why can't all you sorts just suck of... it up? Right. Well, <laughs> funny you should say that, uh, which is what our fire commissioner told us to do after 9 11 uh, publicly. Um, even though he wouldn't allow his own son to go to Ground Zero, who was a firefighter, uh, he told the rest of us to just go there and shut up. So, anyway, um, yeah, so after I retired, and it, it, it was just the timing thing, uh, it also coincided with with uh, the first five-year 9-11 bill was, was getting ready to expire. Um, you know, they gave us a five-year bill initially because, you know, all the, all the politicians speak. They wanted to see if, if there would be fraud, uh, if it was warranted, if we're really sick. They wanted the science and stuff we had already had by 2010. Um, you know, we had people dying of cancer <laughs> within a year or two of 9-11. So to us, we, we already knew what was going on, but they wanted us to prove it. And that five-year bill was expiring, even though we had done what we had set out to do, which is prove that we were right. Um, and so when that bill started expiring is when I started uh, opening my mouth, I guess. Because the first couple of years after I retired, it was tough because I didn't feel like I had any support from people I worked with, uh, people that I thought were my friends. Now all seem to think that I was somehow trying to scam the system or, or, or whatever. You know, whenever someone gets three quarters, that's that's the immediate um, reaction. Uh, you know, unless you're you're severely injured in a major fire that everyone knows about, um, people are going to be skeptical. So, I mean, I'm not saying. I wasn't one of those people, <laughs> you know, I think we all were at some point, but, but like you said, once it, once it happens to you, you realize, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you were wrong, but anyway, like I, uh, like I was saying, the, the biggest pushback I found was from other firefighters, um, even ones who were sick themselves, um, didn't want to believe that it was from 9-11, even ones who had very close friends of theirs die of cancer, um, you know, they still weren't fully on board with with the fight. So, you know, we'd have press conferences at Ground Zero for the bill, and there'd be six or seven firefighters there in a department of, you know, over 10,000. <laughs> so um, it was a bit disheartening, to, to say the least, because, you know, the, the, the fire department I fell in love with and the one that, that I chose to stick it out with, um, you, you know, taught me that we're supposed to be there for each other and and you know if we don't have each other's backs no one's gonna have our back you know so it was a bit disheartening and it was frustrating but you know i was with another group of people who all believed in and, and felt the same way i did so made it a little easier but but yeah that, that's really how i kind of got started was it, it just there was a fight being fought and it involved me, and I wasn't content with just sitting on the side and and watching other people fight and hope that they win. So, how much? I have a big mouth myself. So. <laughs> how much? <laughs> now, when I actually, when I first met you, it was down in D.C. at a rally talking about PFAS, um, and it was a lot of different groups, different environmental groups, and then there was a group of us representing firefighters with the IFF, and that's how I met you. How much do you kind of see this being reiterated and how much are you kind of reliving this now that we're discovering 
PFAS in our gear? And how much is it the same song and dance again of, oh, listen, we're going to get cancer anyway, or, you know, there's no freaking way that we're getting it from our gear. How much of that kind of disbelief do you feel you're just seeing roll right through again? Well, that's exactly right. That's why I decided to get involved in the first place, because I saw the similarities. Um, and then once I spoke to Diane, uh, you know, a few years ago now, I mean, within five minutes uh, of talking to her, I, I knew she was right. You know, I believed her. Um, I could feel it. And Diane to, will convince to, you, that's for sure. If anyone out there has spoken to Diane, yeah, you <laughs> could feel her passion. Oh, yeah. So, um, and I, you're right. It was it, it pretty much the same. You know, firefighters are getting sick and, and dying and don't necessarily want to believe it. I always said it was like uh, like race car drivers. You know how they say when it, when a driver gets in a crash, the other drivers don't want to visit him in the hospital, I guess, because they don't want to believe it's real, you know, or, or that it could happen to them. And I think that's kind of what we see here. You know, people don't. As first responders, we, we see it every day when you when you show up at the scene of an emergency. What's like the, the phrase that you most commonly hear is this came out of nowhere or I can't believe this happened mm -hmm. to me or, you know, it was, he, everything was fine three seconds ago. You know what I mean? There it's were like no the signs. Same. Yeah. Right. And, and here we, it's like, how do we of all people not see or, or believe that bad stuff happens? You know, bad stuff happens every day in the world, but no one ever believes it's going to happen to them. And yeah, I could see her frustration and, and hear it. And I figured if, if, if there was any way I could, use my experience to help uh i would so so that's why i decided to join in there but yeah that's pretty much the same thing i always said the hardest the hardest people to fight to convince that that they're in danger uh are firefighters you know that for, for whatever reason um we don't want to believe it but when you look at and you see that the the cancer rates in in companies in middle america that that aren't doing fire duty like they are say in new york or detroit or you know, pick a major city, uh, but they have the same cancer rates. You got to find what the common denominator is. Right. And, you know, common sense would tell you we're all wearing the same shit. Um, sorry, I don't know if this is a, yeah. Oh, no, you're, you're, no. you're definitely allowed to guess. Uh, I don't know if it was a fire-ass kitchen or a, <laughs> um, you know, so what's the common denominator? It's the guys wearing their bunker gear to go, uh, you know, fill the boot and go do uh, stair climbs and, and wearing to go food shopping because they're not going to fires. So, the the that 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 was another thing that tipped me off like it i'm not buying the it's the carcinogens in the air at the fires because if you're not going to fires then how are you breathing in the carcinogens and then right. why wouldn't the cancer rates in these cities where they go to fires every day be way higher than they are in in small smallville you know america you know it just it doesn't add up um so <laughs> So in your talks, in your travels, in your conversations, what what's the the catalyst that you have seen where that light bulb clicks for people? What what have you found that actually gets through to make people stop and think, hey, maybe I'm a little responsible for my health. Maybe maybe I should be doing doing some things to protect myself because at the end of the day, I mean. Uh, not to throw him under the bus, but you said it yourself about the commish. He's not letting his own son go there. I mean, he's protecting people, but that he's not protecting the rest. You know, we can't rely on entities to protect us. So 
how do we get people to have that sense of self-responsibility to say, hey, all right, I got to suck it up and do a couple things to protect my life? Uh, I don't know. I wish there was one. The golden answer, question, but... right? Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I think COVID helped, um, at least with my friends in the FDNY. Um, you know, they, they seem to realize, oh, wait, the government doesn't give a shit about us, you know, when they were sending them on runs, but they give them one, one mask for a tour in a 95, if they were lucky to have an 95 for a whole tour, um, you know, not giving them gloves, not giving them proper gear. Like, how do we, how are we the biggest fire department in the world? And we don't have masks for our EMTs and firefighters, like what something's off, you know? And I think, I think this younger generation of, of men and women that came on within the last five or six years probably saw that and saw what we went through, you know, because our story became a, a pretty big story right before COVID hit, you know, 2019 was, was when we finally got the bill passed permanently with, you know, John Stewart making all the headlines, but I think it was fresh in their minds, like the, the government screwed us over and then didn't give a shit to even show up and hear how they screwed us over and basically got shamed into giving us legislation. So I don't think anyone was surprised to see it all happen again. And I think that's why we kind of have more awareness. And also, unfortunately, I think we're seeing more and more younger firefighters die of cancer. And I think now the, the, the groundwork has already been laid by the 20 years of, of work by, you know, the people that came before me, like Ray Pfeiffer and John McNamara and, and, and all the people, at least in our area, um, that have been preaching this for 20 years, you know? So I'm hopeful that maybe they saw that and, and, and they're all taking it into account. I mean, it's a different generation now. Um, I feel like the suck it up uh, generation is kind of dying off, retiring and, and right. And, and to protect yourself and your colleague's generation seems to be, you know, taking over. When, when I got on the job, it was looked down upon to wear your mask, you know. Uh, um, and if you were at a job and you wore your mask, you, had, you took it off as soon as you possibly could, you know, during overhaul or whatever. Like, it, was, it wasn't like, like it is now where you're kind of getting in trouble if you don't have your mask on, you know. It's, um, so it was, I, I got hired in 05, and it's... Uh, the trouble I find myself in with ingrained habits when I first came in compared to now is a combination of obnoxious and great just to see how much it's changed in 18 years with the attitude towards protecting yourself. Um, other than the me getting in trouble part of it, it it's kind of nice to see because as obnoxious as it is, it means that the generation coming behind me is hopefully going to live longer with less health issues than, than our generation has faced. What, what would you say to these incoming generations? Because you named Ray Pfeiffer and other names. Those guys were huge advocates and they laid a lot of groundwork. But the problem is, is if people don't come in behind them and continue that, we're going to lose everything that those guys and you have accomplished we're going to lose all the awareness and then it's just going to be this. So fire department is always pendulum swing, right? So we had people doing the hard work and slowly accomplishing things. And I think when that happens, there's always this, oh, well, we can sit back and chill. The work has been done and the pendulum swings the other way. And then we got to do all the effort to swing it back. What would you say to people to continue that momentum 
and and specifically, hey, freaking start advocating before you're sick. Like do something, find a way to fix firefighter health before you are needing to see every doctor on the planet. Right. At this point, I would say every firefighter knows at least one other firefighter who has or or uh, has cancer or battled cancer. There's no, I don't think there's any way around it at this point. I mean, not that the rest of the country doesn't face cancer, but it, obviously our rates are higher. But exactly what you just said was my driving force for getting involved in the first place. Um, I saw all these guys fighting and all these guys, you know, doing interviews and going on these trips to Washington and they're all sick and dying and, and basically look like shit. Like what, why aren't we supposed to be fighting for each other? And I was like, what if, you know, if I don't get down there and, 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 and help them, then I'm not really doing my part. That's how I felt. And I felt like it, it shouldn't be upon, you know, a guy like Lou Alvarez who testified four years ago, like yesterday in front of Congress when he, when he had like, Less than a month to live, he he he, I don't know, was down to about 100 pounds, and he had to go all the way down there and and tell his story. And it just, to me, that that's really the, <laughs> that was the true travesty to me is that he had to do it. Like, why aren't there other people willing to step up and do that? Um, and that was always why I, I remained committed, even though you know at this point, uh, I'm getting older, but. I felt like the younger generation owed it to not only the guys who came before them and got sick, but to the ones coming behind us. Like in the case of 9-11, I, I honestly believe the strategy of the government was to just wait us out. They mm -hmm. figured, you know, they're all going to be dead. You know, who? no one's going to be bringing this up in 20 years. So let's just, you know, fuck them, <laughs> basically. And that's why I was like, well, no, we, we're not all 60, 70-year-old uh men dying of cancer at the time i was like, I'm, I'm 33 years old and i made them that's why i went down there I made them look me in the eyes and made them hear my story and and i think it's important and that's why a big part of the reason why i kept doing it was i knew there was a generation of children behind me all the school students that got sent to ground zero and 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 were forced to live in that area because they were told it was safe so who's going to come fight for them in in 20 years if this bill doesn't get passed that's how I felt. I felt like I'm here because they shouldn't have to come here in 10 years and tell their stories. Uh, because when we're all dead, to be honest, I mean, I think firefighters and police officers are the ones who bring the microphones, right? People don't want to, they're not going to care about a, a software engineer who's dying of 9-11 cancer. It's, right. That's not my belief, but I just, I think that that is the way our society would work, right? They don't, you know, they're not going to bring the, the clicks and cameras the way uh, the way firefighters do. Wheelchair. Right. So, you know, there's also an obligation to that. Like, if, it, when, we, when we take that oath, like, we take the oath to protect people. And I looked at it like this was my opportunity to continue, um, you know, continue doing that, even though I couldn't actually put the gear on anymore. So I hope that the next day, I hope that that has inspired other people, you know, the same way I was inspired to, uh, you know, take the torch, I guess, and, and keep it going. But it seems like, it's, it seems to me like it is. I, I've noticed recently, um, I've seen a few stair climbs, stair climbs and, and they're wearing gym shorts and sneakers, which I think is a big step forward, you know? We're not running up and down wearing bunker gear needlessly um, like they would have been even just two or three years ago. So I think that's a good step. 
I don't know. I don't know what you're seeing, but it seems like there's progress being made. It's, I think but. it's, it's slowly starting. Um, where I work in, and right outside of DC, it's still hasn't, I, I think we're really good about the, <laughs> we're just becoming good. I think as an entire department, more buy-in about the carcinogen part, but we are not good about the gear part yet. And I'm, I'm guilty. The other day I, I grabbed my bunker pants for an EMS run instead of putting on coveralls. It's an ingrained habit that we're all having to, to work on, but I, I hear it time and time again, either, ah, that's not it. Uh, the science sounds wonky or just, well, I've been wearing it for this long anyway. Nothing's happened. And it's it's such a conundrum of how do I hit you over the head with this in a way that will get you to listen? Because with firefighters, I mean, you give us anything confrontational and we're going to dig in even harder. So this is this weird spot of, okay, how do I say this softly and loudly all at once to get you to, to realize how critical this is for your health? Because it's not just cancer. It's autoimmune issues. It's reproductive health issues it's it's a bevy of things it's not just one this is devastating health uh, effects on multiple systems so this fight is this fight's crazy important i would say autoimmune issues are are my number one problem from from 9-11 you know um yeah, and, 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 and having cancer also brings on those autoimmune issues uh, afterwards, after chemotherapy and everything. All this stuff changes your DNA. You know, right. Breathing in those chemicals and having all those, those toxins in your blood changes your DNA, changes your ability to fight off common colds. You know, it's, it's much deeper than just cancer. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that's come out of the, the 9-11 fight is that it's not just cancer. In fact, cancer wasn't even covered when, when the bill was first written. So um, there's a slew of other, other issues that, that your gear will cause. Um, and let's say even if it doesn't kill you, it, it fucks up the rest of your life. You know, like I have peripheral neuropathy, which means my limbs, I feel pretty much every sensation you can feel uh, all day long in like a constant rotation, you know, and randomly my, my, my legs will just go numb. You know, so that's why I have to walk with a cane because I could be standing in line and next thing you know, my leg just completely falls out. Is that killing me? No, but does it suck? (laughs) Is it fun to live that way? Of course not. You know, so it shouldn't just be life and death. It's also quality of life. You know, the firefighters need to to accept that. Um, You know, sometimes you have to listen to, to, uh, experts (laughs) experts <laughs> experts and 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 your colleagues who have experienced it you know one of the craziest things to me when i first came in the fire department was the silent issue of um because it was a, f- a fewer number of female firefighters back then um in our department the silent epidemic of male fertility issues and it was something you just you caught little sound bites of people struggling with it and, you know, getting a couple hours of sick leave to run home and do what they got to do kind of thing because they're getting fertility treatments. And I don't think anyone ever stopped to 
to put that one together of, hey, how are a bunch of supposedly testosterone laden dudes like, I mean, we're firefighters, right? Uh, why are so many of us having fertility issues? This is a little bit insane. Why don't we have this conversation? And it's so frustrating within the firefighter community because we also don't want to bring forward the fact that we're having any kind of medical issue, which is, I think, then dovetails horribly into the, well, nothing looks wrong with you, suck it up, buttercup, why are you retiring for a nosebleed kind of attitude that keeps being permeated in a lot of departments. And it's... Well, I, and I also think there's there's something a bit nefarious about those those thoughts too. Like where, where do they come from? Where do they stem from? Where it's, you know, I remember in right after 9-11 when, you know, Hillary Clinton, um, she, she, you know, to her credit was, was one of the biggest uh, mouthpieces for the air quality. She was, she was, she was out there, you, you know, she'd step on a stage in front of uh, 10,000 firefighters and get booed. But she was there because she was trying to protect us from the air. You know, it just, whatever. <laughs> that happened. Um, so uh, I lost my track there. But there, there, I feel like there are people who, who, and you know this, like these major companies who made sure that, that all those, all those uh, concerns were debunked and that the people who, who were bringing them up were made out to look crazy or to be full of shit. I don't think it was an accident, you know. After 9-11, when firefighters were probably as high on the pedestal as they could be in New York City, right? And I have this confirmed from firsthand sources. When we were going for a contract, um, police officers were offered vacation days, um, you know, overtime, whatever, if they went out that night and arrested a firefighter for DWI. Jeez. Because they were trying to knock us down in the press, Right. They didn't realize that we get the same contracts, so they were basically hurting themselves. But, you know, that's what was going on because they knew that that they needed to take us down a peg. So they were doing, you know, pulling moves like that. Like when James Adroga, who the bill is named after, was dying of cancer. Mike Bloomberg goes on on record saying he's a drug addict and we're not going to pay for his pain medications, even though he had stage four cancer and was dying. So he needed pain medications so he could die peacefully. So this guy basically takes a hero, turns him into a piece of shit, all for political reasons, because he doesn't want to give us a contract. They don't want to, you know, they couldn't figure out who was going to pay for the medical, you know, is it the, is it the federal government? Is it the state? Is it New York City who's paying for it? They didn't care. They just figured if they make this guy look bad enough, it'll just go away. You know, and then and then once it came out that, that Bloomberg was wrong, the retraction was on, you know, page 80, and nothing was ever made of it. You know, also, when when experts from, from, uh, Oklahoma City, you know, because Chief Downey was heavily involved in Oklahoma City, you know, with, with FEMA, and he was basically the godfather of FEMA. And all these experts came back to us after 9-11 and said, you know, in the next couple of years, you're going to see an uptick in drug use, alcohol abuse, divorce rates. You know, you're going to see all this. So they knew that that's why firefighters were out drinking and, and doing drugs. And so how did the, the city react? Zero tolerance policy. You fail a drug test, you're fired. So these are the guys who spent nine months, most of them uh, 24-hour shifts, digging through that rubble. And then a year later, they're getting fired because they smoked a joint on their vacation. You know, like... And back then, mental health was not a thing. 
it was not a thing. And, and, and so instead of, instead of, you know, helping us, they used that against us to make us look bad. So they didn't have to give us a contract, you know, and this is the kind of stuff I was pointing out in the firehouse when I was 24, 25 years old. And I was, you know, told to shut the fuck up, you know, but I could see it was clear as day. Like they were, they were doing this to make us look bad, to save money, you know, to make us, uh, you know, and then people are less likely to listen to you when they say we get cancer if, if, or less likely to speak up about their cancer if they're being, you know, portrayed as drug addicts and, and, and scammers, you know. I, so I don't think it was an accident. You know, I, I had a friend, was a friend, retired with 9-11 illness, had multiple surgeries on the 9-11 bill, tell me that he thought 9-11 illness deaths were bullshit, like they were made up. And I'm like, I don't, uh, that was like, <laughs> to me, that was like, that completely embodied the feeling of firefighters. Like, yeah, I'm sick. I got this shit, but that guy, he's bullshit. <laughs> you know, like, I haven't spoken to him since. So it's anyway. It's happening to me, but it can't, it's not happening to anybody else. Right. Like, it, it's frustrating. But I, like I said, I don't think it's it's by accident. I think it's by design. The government knows how to turn people against each other and just go on Twitter. Um, that, that, that's their, that's their move. It's, it's been their move, you know, throughout our history. Right. So, so that's why I think it's important for the younger people to get involved and, and cut through the bullshit and just worry about taking care of each other. If, if, if you see guys getting cancer and the common denominator is, is because they spend all day wearing their bunker pants, just take your pants off. What, What's it costing you? Five seconds from getting on the rig? I mean, <laughs> if that's that part of scene size up, then what? Well, what is? <laughs> you know. Right. So I think uh, I think the takeaway in twenty twenty three is when it comes to us, nobody's coming. I mean, we are we are it for advocating for our health. Um, you just gave a valuable piece of information right there. What else would you say? to this new generation coming in who is they're coming into the, I think the most health information that any generation has ever freaking had um, so they're being they're being set up for a solid start what would you tell them about carrying that torch uh, I would tell them not to care what anyone else thinks you know don't worry about how you're viewed as like a quote unquote pussy or quote unquote you know, coward, because you could be considered a coward if you put your mask on or, or uh, you know, a hairbag if you didn't walk around the firehouse with your bunker pants on. I would just say don't worry about what those pe people think of you. Because as I found out, when you get sick and you retire, they don't think of you. Hmm. So why, why would you worry about what to think about, about you when you're there? Because they're clearly not going to think about you when you leave. So take care of yourself and you know, if you could, if you can positively influence other people through your example, then do it. But I, the name calling and all that stuff, that isn't going to help. And, and it's firefighters are certainly not going to be forced to do anything. Um, so I just think you need to follow the example of, of, you know, you know, I guess the senior man or whoever it is that, that, that you respect, um, I don't know. It, it's it's a frustrating time in our country because something simple as as 
as uh, you know, not wearing your bunker gear needlessly can be turned into a political debate in right. about three sentences. It, so don't don't go on your social media with it. <laughs> right, exactly. And or our health should not be a polarizing argument. Right, and it should have nothing to do with your with what you believe in politically or you know your religious beliefs none of that should matter it's just i mean just look at the evidence look at look at statistics of cancer i mean thankfully now i think ed kelly's on the right track i mean he he seems to be uh you know right out in front of all this which is great um but it shouldn't have to come from from a union president it shouldn't have to you know it should just come from from the, the people you work like just if you see that five guys you know have cancer and they're all firefighters and they're all wear the same shit you know put the pieces together you know, I, I don't know be vigilant right mm. and you're not saving anybody's life by uh picking out melons in the grocery store with your pants on you know <laughs> you're just trying to look cool like we get it you're cool you know you got your t-shirt get the tattoo instead of the bunker pants is that what you're saying <laughs> right well rob thank you so much for taking the time today i know uh i know your energy level these days is, is down a little bit so i really appreciate you spreading your wisdom today and really hopefully opening a couple eyes of the newer generation and, and the current generation in terms of what we need to be doing to protect ourselves and those coming up behind me so thank you for the fighting that you've done so far no, no, no need to thank me. I'm just, uh, you know, doing what I think is right. So, but I appreciate you having me on, and, and <laughs> it's very frustrating, as I'm sure you know. Well, we'll get there one day. 